Interesting. You want the people behind the scenes to be high fact finding and they're the ones gathering all the facts for that high quick start person to just crush it, right? Yeah, exactly. I want I want a high fact finder for preparing for a deposition, for writing a brief, for drafting discovery. But I want a high quick start for being able to go do a cross examination, give to an opening statement. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. You see, I told you right from the beginning we were going to nerd out, right? My mentor Rick from that same firm where I used to get the where I used to send the referrals, he always said something that stuck with me, which is the problems never feel like problems when you're busy. But the second you're not busy, all the problems come to light and they're worse than they ever were before. So I must say I just conducted an amazing interview, amazing podcast with Galen Hare. Uh, Galen Hare is the owner of uh, Insurance Claim HQ. And uh, you go to insuranceclaimhq.com. He's an attorney, uh, first party attorney that basically works a lot in the Louisiana area uh, where Hurricane Laura hit and uh, and uh, a couple other hurricanes as well. Uh, but we don't talk about claims. We don't talk about law firms. We don't talk about anything related to that stuff except business building. He's been able to scale his law firm from zero or from four to 140. It's pretty amazing. With a lot of the same techniques that we use at Elite Resolutions, with a lot of the same techniques that I try to train uh, and consult with other public adjusting firms on how to hire, how to fire, how to onboard uh, processes and moving your claims along and, and just the overall business structure of the entire company. And we get into all of it. So I think you're going to, if you are a lawyer, and you have never heard this show, you're going to want to listen to this episode. You're going to like it. And if you're a public adjuster or contractor, just anybody in business, that's what we talk about. So please stay tuned and enjoy what I think is one of the most informative podcasts that we've had to date in regards to growing and scaling your business. So let's get right to it in three, two, one. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. Okay, okay. We are here and I'm very excited because today... We're going to be talking about a subject that I personally know about and love. And it's like my favorite thing to nerd over. It's my favorite thing to read about. It's my favorite thing to pay for when it comes to courses and when it comes to uh, masterminds and different groups and different people. Uh, it's about business we're going to be talking about. And I have the special privilege of having attorney Galen Hare with us of the insurance Claim H it's insuranceclaimhq.com, but please Galen, if you could tell the people who you are and where you're from. Everybody needs an attorney on their side. So whether you're a public adjuster, a contractor, or anyone else in the insurance claims business, make sure that you have an attorney that you could rely on, that you can go to for questions whenever you need it. That guy for me for the last 12 years has been David Farber. David Farber is the owner of the Farber Law Firm, and he has been there for me from the beginning of my career until now. And I would love for him to be able to help you as well. So make sure you call him at this number here and visit his website so you can learn more about the amazing David Farber of the Farber Law Firm. 
I had been looking for an accountant for years and I was unable to find anybody that I liked, that I worked with and was able to do what I needed to be done to my taxes and to my accountant. Jeremy David at Noble Wealth has been a godsend to me, my family and my company. We have saved so much money in taxes I can't even begin to describe and he knows what he's doing. You need to call Jeremy at Noble Wealth and get yourself the right accountant because he's the man who's going to help you save on taxes because ultimately you don't want to be making money, especially if you're self-employed and having it all go to the IRS. Call Jeremy, call Noble Wealth, and they will help you tremendously with the entire accounting process and your tax situation from A to Z. Thanks, Vince. So yeah, my name is Galen. I'm an attorney. I work first party property casualty claims. We have about 35 attorneys currently around the country, mainly in the Gulf South, but a little bit in the Midwest and in the Northeast. And then we have, you know, another 140, 150 employees. Wow. How is there a difference between a law firm and a small business, let's say, until you get obviously to larger, is there really a difference between running a law firm and running a business or is it, they're, they're the same thing, right? Yeah. I think fundamentally, like in terms of like, philosophy and things like that, they are the same. The only difference, just like if you were running an accounting firm or a dentist's office or a medical office is we do have ethical rules. We have to make sure we follow. Um, so our business model, like if you were producing fidget spinners or you were, you know, or you were making pizza, right. Your business model is kind of dictated by what you offer. And because of what we offer, we have ethical rules we need to follow as well. But other than that, it is run. It is the same thing. Which is why I've always thought like, I've always felt like it's probably difficult for a lot of attorneys to scale because what they're good at is what they're good at. And as you know, scaling a business and, 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 and practicing law, are two completely different things. Have you found that too? Because I have found that you could see that there's only a select few of law firms that have really been able to master the process of scaling their business. And everyone else is like one man shop, four man shop. You know, it's like smaller. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So I think that's where law firms have trouble is exactly that. So you can be a really good lawyer and then you're probably not going to have a big firm because you're not a good business person. You can be a really good business person and you can grow really fast, but you might frankly do really crap work and put out really bad product because you're not a good lawyer. So the challenge is like, you want to be both. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can be a good lawyer and a good businessman. Um, but I had to do that. I had to learn how to run a business, right? I had learned how to be a good lawyer, but I had to learn that. Um, and then you could also like combine them. So I know some firms that have done really well where they essentially have a business partner who's a really good business person and then a really good lawyer who's kind of overseeing the quality of services. And we've kind of done a little bit of that too, which is I go out and actively try to hire the best lawyers I can to put them in leadership and governance positions. So they will make sure that all the junior attorneys are producing the best product. So what is your, so what does the structure of your company look like? And I'm going to call it a company. I'm not going to call it a law firm. What does the structure of your company look for, look like? And before you get into it, I'll tell you ours, our public adjusting firm, we're growing to a point where it's myself, CEO. We have a COO. We're going to put, we're, the plan is to get a CMO of like marketing in place and, you know, operations lead. We have desk adjuster leads. Everybody's got like a lead in their separate little department. That's sort of how it goes. Like anything else we, uh, we, originally structured it off traction and it's kind of gone a couple different ways. Uh, EOS, I don't know if you know about that, but it's kind of gone a couple different ways, but there is a lot of structure. How do you guys have it structured? 
Yeah. So EOS is a fantastic system. There's no question. Um, and I think like, I like the way you've structured it. So ours is similar, but different. I personally don't feel like we're big enough to have a C-suite yet, but we do have a D-suite, right? Um, there's no fundamental difference, except in theory, you would have numerous directors working under numerous C-suite employees, and we only have one level of D-level. So I sit at top. I don't really call myself anything. Um, could be a president or a CEO. They, they all know who I am. They know I'm the owner of the firm. You're a visionary. <laughs> yeah, I just don't put anything in my in my signature. We're a corporation, so technically I'm a director and shareholder and president. But so when I have to sign things, I do all that. But in the firm, they just know who I am. And then underneath that, we have two what I would call kind of co-equal um, governance positions. The first is our DOO. She is not a lawyer. Um, and the second is our managing attorney, who is definitely a lawyer. So the managing attorney, so there's like different, um, there's different branches that come off of those. Sometimes they intersect, but usually not. So the managing attorney sits over the attorneys. Um, she's responsible for making sure our trial team has the appropriate people they need and the quality of work is good and the attorneys are keeping up. And if we need more attorneys, she's the one that raises the red flag to the operations side. We need to get new attorneys. Uh, you know, that's her domain is the quality of legal services and the training that people that provide legal services receive, both lawyers and non-lawyers. That is her entire domain. Operations will not question her. They might ask her if it makes sense to pay for something, right? But they will not question her. She, she runs that entire ship. Um, the DOO runs everything that is not directly related to legal services. So our director of marketing works under her. Our director of information technology works under her. Um, those are our director of HR works under her. So all the kind of other traditional director positions fall under our DOO. They report directly to her. She also is responsible for kind of larger things. Like we're trying to buy a building that is her pet project. Anytime we're trying to implement a new system or a new technology, obviously IT is dealing with that, but she might be the initiator of that project. She's the one that is looking at budgets, right? She's running through all of those things. So wow. operations fall solely under her. And then I really, in a perfect world, but I'll, I promise you it does not work like this, should really just be meeting with them a few times a week, being the managing attorney in the DOO and making sure everything goes well. But I do like to be involved in cases. So I'll come in and I come in and help out when clients need it. And I do a lot of that. What does it look like then under the DOO? You said you've got the marketing, you've got finance, you've got what? How many people does the DOO have under her? I guess she has, okay, how many people in, we'll call it leadership for now, does she have under her, like her under uh, that report to her? I think it's six. Yeah, she has six, six people. people. Yeah, six direct reports. And then, you know, but the remainder of the 140, 150 employees that are non attorneys um, fall under one or more of those people. That's insane. 140 people all on salary? Yep, it's expensive. But yes. <laughs> and I'm guessing they each have directors and stuff that they have to report to as well. Yeah, I mean, there are supervisors kind of below that, depending on where appropriate, right? So, for instance, Mass Torts doesn't really have its own supervisor, um, which is a separate thing we work on as Mass Torts because it's a small department. The attorney that's in charge of that can kind of serve as that supervisor. 
obviously if they need HR, they have HR. If they need anything, they have it, but it's kind of a self-contained unit. So we have supervisors where appropriate, like intake, for instance, we have an intake supervisor. There needs to be someone and that person reports to marketing and marketing reports to the DOO, right? Um, is intake really marketing? Maybe not, but our marketing director has enough experience to be able to oversee intake. And it's really important to have that visibility. We want to be able to see if we make a move on marketing, we want that same person to see the direct results in terms of case acquisition so they know what's working and what isn't. Human resources? Yep, that falls under the DOO directly. But I mean, with 140 employees or more, you got to have a pretty solid human resources department, I'm assuming. We have a person and an assistant, and um, she is amazing. And her assistant is pretty good from what I understand. But she was a huge hire for us. Big acquisition came from a large hotel chain. Gotcha. Gotcha. She's in charge of making sure that we're putting the right person in the right seat and we got the right person to be doing whatever needs to be doing. Yeah. And she's next level when it comes to that. So obviously she focuses on more than that benefits. If there's a complaint, she deals with that. Um, But her biggest focus is getting the right people for the right seats at the right time for the right reasons. So for instance, we do a lot of personality testing and we have kind of a complicated regimen to get hired here. And that is all her baby. So we... It's not may not be as complicated as yours, but every single person that comes onto the firm has to fill out an application, has and a pretty, very detailed application, which I read. And I read for a couple of things. I wanted to see if they actually spent the time to actually fill it out. Like we even we have our core values and we want to know what you think of each one of our core values. And we have a, several other questions. And I want a nice significant answer, not just a one or two word answer. Uh, then they have to submit a resume and they have to fill out two uh uh, assessments. One is a culture index and the other is a CCAT. All that before I even sit down and I'm the one that's still, I still do all the interviews, but we have to do that before they do the interviews. What's your process like? Yeah, similar, but different. So usually, and sometimes we will loosen up one um, one prong or another if, if there's an emergent hire, um, but that's rare. So we post all the job boards, post those positions. Um, in a perfect world, but we do have to move this up or down. Like it has to titrate depending on the market. We actually do not let anyone apply through those. They call a number, they get some information about the job and that phone number has instructions on how to apply. So step, step one, we're weeding out people that are just clicking to apply because we don't want them. Um, they don't want us. And so we don't want them, right? Um, nothing wrong with click to apply. I think it's a cool technology, but it doesn't mean you're targeting someone. So we want someone that's going to target us. So if they email us and it's an email, we give them a specific email with instructions. They're not complicated. If they follow them, they've made it through that first batch, right? We just want you to follow instructions. And um, from there, you will get a verbal or a telephone interview. There's almost no reason to do it in person. We're just going to kind of talk to you, make sure you understand the job, make sure you're sold on the workplace. And then they will do a Colby. They'll do a Wonderlick assessment, which is a logical cognitive skill assessment. They'll do a Colby assessment, which more tests like your working style. And then they'll do a print assessment, which is by the Hertz group. And that is an assessment that more tests your internal motivators. That is not really a prerequisite to you getting the job, but we need, but it might be depending on who you're going to be working for. If your internal motivators are not coherent or compatible, then you might have trouble working for someone. For instance, do we have a supervisor that does not like to give praise, does not like to give attention, is very matter of fact, gets the work done? We are not going to hire someone for them that needs attention and praise to feel happy. 
right? It just doesn't make sense. Even if they're perfect on paper, they will sit there. That supervisor will appreciate the heck out of them, think they're amazing, and they will eventually quit because no one cares. And that's crazy, right? So we, we just try to prevent that from happening. So they've done the Wonderlick, the Colby, and the print. At that point, if everything looks good, um, we do a much more serious in-person interview. Um, we have tried to pre, we believe we're selling them as much as they're selling us. So we try not to even send the assessments or do that sit down interview. If we don't think they would, they would accept the job if we offered it to them. Um, we do that as long as everything goes well, then there's a test assignment, which is just something silly, not silly, but you know, it's, it's something fake based on that particular position just to make sure they can and will do it. Um, they have 24 hours to turn that in. It does not take long. Assuming they get that, then they likely will be offered the job at that point. Um, obviously, there's a lot of different ways to get disqualified during that process, but we call it a funnel because the idea is we should be able to spend a thousand bucks on job board ads and really get it down to one or two qualified candidates by the time they're sitting in front of us. What's your Colby, Galen? <laughs> I would have to tell you. Give me a second and I will tell you. I know I'm, I'm a, a four, very... Four, I'm a 4483. Are you a high quick start? I'm a high quick start. Do, of could course you we have, are. Yes. I am a 6472. 6472. I'm a 4483. All right. Very high quick start. Um, you know, very we have a quick start. And uh, what is it? I'm not very high fact finding, which I run into trouble with people who are high fact for people. For those of you that don't know, because now we're having like a like a like an inside conversation. The first number is fact finding, which is your which is sort of your ability to take in a lot of information, take in a lot of facts. I am low in fact finding, which means for me, I don't need a lot of facts to sort of like make a decision and proceed with what's going on. However, if I'm talking to somebody who is high fact finding, it could come to a little bit of a uh, there could be a miscommunication because I may be here. I'll give you a couple things. And that person's going to be like, well, I need more information so that I can proceed. Uh, the second number is follow through. That's your ability to follow through. So I try to surround myself people with Ga uh, Galen, with people who have higher follow through than me, just so we could get stuff done. I am the visionary and I'm a high quick start. That means I am ready and willing to just go with any new idea, anything that presents itself. And then the last one is implementer. Implementer is what again? Is that like it's supposed to be the so that's a different definition of implementer it's like than building anywhere else. Stuff. It's yeah, like it's, building stuff. It's supposed right? to be their need to see tangible results. So in most of our professions, if you're listening to this, unless you're a contractor, um, you are going to have a low implementer score, and it's not yeah. going to be important to you to build your organization with high implementers. However. Um, you want to definitely identify that if you're a contractor, right? And you're running sales guys, because if those sales guys cannot see roofs getting built, they are going to be very unhappy and very unfulfilled, right? Um, and that's important to know. So we have almost all low implementer scores, not so for we any, like we didn't you know, weed those people out, but it just wasn't important to us. Um, and exactly what you pointed out. So like I have a lower follow through than I would like, right? So my assistant has a high follow through and a high fact finder. So when you need something from me, you copy her and she will A, make sure I do it. And B, she will research all the facts around it. So I'm not acting on half information. Um, so that's what we're doing with Colby, right? As you guys are, is when we're hiring people, we're saying, okay, what do we need for this position? 
you know, if we're hiring a case manager, we're not going to hire someone with a low fact finder, a low follow through because like they're never going to collect the right information from the client and they're going to forget to follow up on instructions they're given by the attorney. So we're looking for high fact finder, high follow through, do not care about quick start as it relates to a case manager, because I want them to be very detailed and careful with attorneys. I might want a little bit of a higher quick start especially my trial team, because sometimes you just got to pick up a case and go, right? Um, but for the attorneys working the cases, I'm going to look for a little bit higher fact finder. Additional living expenses is one of the most difficult parts of an insurance claim. And the reason is, is it's very high pressure. And as a public adjuster or contractor, you're already dealing with the negotiating of the build back process. You don't want to have to deal with ALE as well. Black Diamond Housing Services does all of that. They don't even charge the client. They bill it directly to the insurance company. It's all covered under the ALE coverage. So you need to call Black Diamond if you have a house that has been severely lost, whether it's like severe mold, severe water, fire, anything like that, where they need a place to stay, call Black Diamond Housing Services and they'll be able to take care of your client from beginning to end. I'm assuming every attorney working a case should have a high fact finder, correct? Isn't well, not necessarily. You Your trial lawyers might not have a high fact finder. So these are lawyers that will come in in a later stage of the case and have the guts to just go try the case, right? So for uh, those, I want a higher quick start. Interesting. You want the people behind the scenes to be high fact finding and they're the ones gathering all the facts for that high quick start person to just crush it, right? Yeah, exactly. I want I want a high fact finder for preparing for a deposition, for writing a brief, for drafting discovery, but I want a high quick start for being able to go do a cross examination, give to an deliver opening statement. It. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. You see, I told you right from the beginning we were going to nerd out, right? <laughs> we did. I feel like we I feel like we've lost half the audience and half the audience is hooked. Um, take me back. This is going to be a great podcast, Galen, for attorneys and those who are starting out their firms as well. Take me back to the beginning. Take me back to when it started. How did you start? Was, was it just you uh, working out of your house or was it you with a relative or how did it all start? And how did it, if you could just give me the bird's eye view of how'd you get from where you started to where you are today with 140 yeah. plus employees? It's wild. Um, so when I started, so I went in and did defense work, worked for a big firm, um, burned out pretty fast and came back down and did defense work for a smaller firm. So all I'd ever really done is defense work, done a fair amount of property casualty defense, just a couple of years, but I'd been at like one of the best firms in the world and knew I didn't like that. And then I went to like one of the best firms in New Orleans, came back down from Manhattan. Um, and I thought it was the size of the firm maybe that burned me out, but no, it was the work. So once I realized that was my problem, I decided to go out on my own. So I did that. I went out with two good friends from law school. Uh, the timing, no one will believe this story if I tell you, but the timing was uh, crazy because I had no clients, obviously had no way to get work. But when I was at this defense firm, the second one, my office was right next to the managing partners and the founding partner. He was a great guy. And one of my jobs, quote unquote, that I had to do besides actually work on cases was field all these calls that thought he was the best lawyer in the world and wanted to hire him. He had given me pretty strict criteria about who we would take on and who we wouldn't doing defense work. Right. So we got a lot of like, Hey, I want to sue so-and-so and make a bunch of money and we wouldn't take those cases. So I started referring those to my friends that were in law school like from law school that were, had their own firms, like no, no reason, just wanted to share the wealth. If these cases were coming in and they might be worth money and we weren't going to take them, I was going to get these into my friend's hands so they could make some money. Um, never approached any of them, never asked for a deal. It's just not the way I was ever wired. 
Um, but one day I'm unhappy and I'm ready to leave and I'm sitting down with a few of my friends from law school and I say, yeah, I, uh, I want to go out on my own, but I don't know how to get work or anything. And like three of them start laughing and go, well, you make up about 90% of our referrals, you know? So we don't want you to leave because we'll go broke. Um, but on the other hand, if you need someone to work with, or you're looking for a soft place to land, like we'll absolutely work with you. So of them, two of them, and I ended up starting a firm together that was called Verati Heron Checky. It opened in 2011. It went well, but it went slow. Like just like everyone in this industry typically has problems with, we started as three lawyers. I think at our height, we got up to 14 lawyers, but that was over the course of, you know, nine years, right? Wow. So that's not a lot of growth. It just isn't. And it felt like a lot of growth and it was hard to grow. So, you know, March of 2020 comes around, the firm's changed a few times. Ben Verratti, who is still one of my best friends to this day, left to go be a teacher and be smart. Um, his wife ended up like getting a law professor job at Harvard and he got one at Vermont. Like I knew they were smarter than me. So I, I kind of figured that would happen, but the firm ended up changing names. It became known as Scott Vicknair, Heron Checky. We were growing, as I said, I think we got up to about 14 lawyers at our height. COVID hit. Um, my mentor, Rick, from that same firm where I used to get the, where I used to send the referrals, he always said something that stuck with me, which is the problems never feel like problems when you're busy. But the second you're not busy, all the problems come to light and they're worse than they ever were before. And um, he was telling me that when he was explaining why this big, big defense firm in New Orleans split up many years ago and he was there and he was part of that split. So he had said that and it always stuck with me and it was true because during COVID, we were not that busy. We still had some cases, but we couldn't really do anything. And man, when you're sitting at home for 24 hours a day and you're either working or sleeping or staring at the TV, every single problem comes to light. And I realized over COVID that we had philosophical differences in the way we wanted to run a firm. We had differences in vision in terms of if we each had what we wanted, like the firm would have looked totally different. They were incompatible. They weren't just different, right? And we treated people differently. We had fundamentally different approaches to running a team, fostering a team, supporting a team, building a team. I mean, you could have written a list of similarities and differences and I mean, I would have needed pages and pages and pages for the incompatible differences. Like I'm not talking about, oh, well, I'm good at this and he's good at that. And that compliments us. Like those were not the issue. It was that we had huge philosophical differences. So that's kind of in the back of my head. I'd received multiple offers from other firms to kind of leave and come build out property casualty there. So I called one of those people who was Alexander Shannara, told him I had no interest in joining his firm and building out property casualty for him. Um, but I would, um, I would work out a firm, like I would work a firm with him. So we started a firm together, August 1st of 2020. And it has, we left, I think it was seven of us, um, four attorneys and three support staff. That was the first number on August 1st of 2020. And since then with no debt, it has been insane. What's the difference? The difference is running. So I've been going to masterminds. I've been going to like business classes and things like that. I mean, my old partner, Lauren, who's fantastic. She even did like the uh, Goldman Sachs, whatever that was, um, 10,000 small businesses. Oh, We'd always yeah, gotten, I've heard yeah. that's a good one. Uh, it heard, was good. Long, it's been a long time since I heard about that. 
yeah, I don't know what they even, they even do it anymore, but she learned all these things that we just promptly discarded because we were all smarter than her. And, you know, they were good. Like who knows where we'd be now if we just listened to her. But, um, but, you know, I started to put in some of these things that I was learning that you go to these workshops and you're like, sounds cool. I actually started to institute them. So, you know, we put in a hiring funnel. We started hiring the right people. Um, we really, really put the foot, put our foot on the gas when it came to marketing. So we would get the cases in. And then we kind of adopted this flywheel concept, right? That I know people are talking about now, but we were talking about it in 2020, which is the whole concept of a flywheel. Like you figure out the things you do well you arrange them in a way that they lead to each other. And the idea is your company gets stronger and stronger every time you spin around that wheel. Um, And we have just kind of let that wheel roll without getting in its way. All we do is continue to build out things that the wheel needs in order to keep turning. Explain that again. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of a flywheel, right. Is it's just a gear turning. And, but the idea is every time you turn around, you should get a little more torque, a little more speed, a little more efficiency. So you arrange the things you do well in a way. And I'm like, obviously you visualize it as a wheel, but just functionally like getting better clients should lead to getting better attorneys, getting better attorneys should lead to getting better results, getting better results should lead to better clients, getting better clients should lead to better attorney, right? Like, so you kind of put this in a wheel and you figure out what you need to do to keep those things moving. And the idea is as they continue to turn, it gets better and better and better. Um, and so that's kind of the philosophy where we derive like a lot of our growth and strength from is by continuing to focus on that wheel, making sure it's turning the right way, making sure we're doing the things we need to do in order to uphold our obligations to keep that wheel turning. That was an awesome story, Galen. Well, thanks. Um, I definitely left out some of the color, but it's, uh, but it's been a fun ride for sure. I first saw you i didn't introduce myself but i first saw you you were giving a breakout session at src 2022 so last okay. year not not this year src was already this year right so what yeah last year? last year i must have been talking about marketing huh you were talking about marketing <laughs> and you were talking about some of the some of the strategies that you implemented in louisiana after hurricane which one was it that would have been Which, Laura Delta. I think it was that Laura. Been, yeah. Um, and that's how really you were able to, to really scale to another level. And yeah, you used I, YouTube. I did. Um, and it was cheap and still is cheap. So everyone should be using YouTube still to this day. Although there's definitely new things. I mean, what I was talking about that day, and I still don't understand why the majority of the industry hasn't latched onto it is the value of multi-channel marketing, right? Like, I mean, you and I just saw each other at Win the Storm and I kept hearing people say, well, I do this and it's best. I do pay-per-click. I do social media. I do this. And I kind of laugh and I'm like, do it all, right? I'm not saying spend money on it all, but do it all. Like people do not, and I'll say this as many times until someone shuts me up. People do not see a billboard and call someone. They do not hear a TV ad and call someone. I mean, it can happen, but by and large, that's not the way consumer behavior works. Once you recognize someone, you have an inherent bias towards that thing. So you have to create that recognition in order to get that inherent bias. Like, don't you trust a news channel that you're just used to hearing is really good? Don't you trust a company that you see like, I'm, look, I'm wearing a pair of on clouds right now. I didn't even know what they were, but everyone's wearing them. So I finally bought one, right? Like you trust things you see. 
So you have to be seen a lot in order to be trusted. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And what are, so what are some of the channels that you think that you would, that you prefer? And I know we say all of them, what are some of the channels that you prefer that you think would best fit maybe an up and an up and coming law firm or yeah, even a public um, adjusting firm? Yeah. So that's the cool thing. I think they all work for everyone. Um, I think law firms in the first party space are less effective with what I call like um, fixture ads, like TV, um, billboards. I think those are less effective for law firms because you, it takes so much time and money to scale that up. And by then the disaster's over, um, or you're just doing it regularly to get brand recognition, but you might not have enough disasters to support that. So with that caveat, um, obviously I do love it all, but I think YouTube is huge. It's still cheap. I mean, it's still the second like most visited website every day, right? Yeah. So I mean, I started the YouTube channel only because I just I realized that there was there was a, a space there and people are now YouTubing more than they are Googling. Or when you Google, the first thing that comes up are the YouTube videos. Oh, I mean it's crazy. And you know, no one was using YouTube for a period of time. And and this is the other thing you do is like, just acknowledge that it's all cyclical, right? So if there's something you're not using right now, it very likely will come back. LinkedIn, good bang for your buck today. Yep. Um, and by the way, YouTube, when you do it, do it all. Do the ads, do the bumpers. Like if they will let you give them money for it, do it all. Like not because they're such liquid gold, but because they're hitting different things in different ways. Um, obviously social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok's still hard in our industry, but if you don't figure it out now, you're going to be trying to figure it out later. Um, so be aware of that. Don't worry about China, bottom line. Um, it's either going to be banned or it's not. And right now it is doing well. Um, it's got more growth per capita than Facebook has ever seen. So I would definitely be on TikTok. That does not even mean you have to have a TikTok account, right? You can run TikTok ads and not know how to make these silly dance videos, like run your ads. Um, get your people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing TikTok videos. I don't even know how I'm not cool enough. Right. There's like some lawyers that do it. It's cute. It's funny. I think I'm at an odd age. Like I think if I was older, it would be cute for this old man to be doing these weird dances. And if I was younger and more attractive, like people would want to watch me doing these dances. I'm not doing that. But what I am doing is running TikTok ads when people are watching other videos that just so happen to fit the demographics that I'm looking for. Right. Um, so you can run those. Well, I would be on social media too. If you're struggling and waiting forever and a day to get paid on your claims because you have to wait for the mortgage company, you have to wait for the client, you have to wait for all of these things, Ink Payments by Ink solves that for you. By simply uploading it onto their system, everything gets processed and you get directly deposited your fee into your bank account. Choose InkPay and make sure that you use the promo code VINCE so that you can get $299 off the initial registration fee. So go ahead and check it out, Ink Payments. We've been using it for a long time. I think it's interesting what you're mentioning is that you don't necessarily, everybody's always like, I don't want to be on YouTube because I don't want to make YouTube videos. I don't want to be on TikTok because I don't want to make TikTok videos. And you're here like saying, no, you don't have to do all any, any of that. Just put ads where other people are doing those videos for you and you're putting in your ads and you're still going to be seen. So that answers actually a question that I get all the time. Vince, what should I do about social media marketing? I don't like to post my business. I don't like to do this. Just pump some money into ads and you're good to go. 
And if you don't get it, that's okay. Hire someone that does, but just oversee them and make sure they're doing it the right way. I mean, Facebook claims they have 55,000 different traits that they're tracking from every user. I realize that makes you want to go shut down your Facebook account. But what that means is you can get micro specific with who you're trying to get to hire you. So do that. Right. And if you don't know how, get someone else to do it for you. There's no shame in that. Um, but don't just do not ever, please. Like I see these people, they do a, a post and then they boost it. No, target the people you need. Try to get the actual clientele that you want. Like, I mean, I was watching a public adjuster and he meant well, um, who was bragging about like his. He, he's got his own event and he was bragging about the viewership he was getting on some videos and stuff, but he was just boosting them. They were just hitting a geographical region. They weren't necessarily getting to contractors, public adjusters or attorneys. And if I'm going to do an event, I, that's who I want there. I have my own event. And most of you have not heard about it because I kind of have my ide- ideal demographic that likely is going to pay to come to this event. I know where they live. I know who they are. I know what groups they're part of and we are very micro targeting because I also don't want to spend a bunch of money doing it. So if I, you know, you're anyone's welcome to come, but if you, if I, if I think I need you at the event, I promise you, you're getting advertisements on every channel for this event. What's the event? It's called the level up claim summit. And it's just a one day, like I, and I wasn't even trying to plug it. I'm sorry, but it's just a no, one day. Okay. Um, I might be interested in going. It's fun. June 9th in New Orleans. You can be my guest, Vince. Just uh, tell Bobby and we'll hook you up. Um, no one else listening can be my guest. You all have to pay. But, uh, but no, we don't, <laughs> we don't make money on the event. We lose money. But uh, we did it last year for the first time. And it was kind of cool because we did some claim stuff. Like we had a good appraisal panel. We had a great engineer presentation. So we had some real stuff. But we also brought in like Patrick Houlihan to talk about. He's a former... Um, Top Gun pilot. Um, we actually had booked him before Top Gun. I knew Top Gun was coming out, uh, but he talked about the importance of debriefing and working that into your into your business processes. Right. We had Erin King come and she talked about social media and kind of creating your social media persona that works for you but also gets clients. We had Joey Coleman. He was amazing. He came. He's like a keynote speaker all over the world. He wrote a book called Never Lose a Client Again. And he came and gave like actionable insights on how to keep your clients around and how to keep them happy. We had Chris Shembra, who owns a company called the 747 Club. It sounds like the hokiest thing. He talks about gratitude. It is not hokey. That man has put together multi-million dollar deals by teaching people how to meaningfully connect with their potential target client. So, you know, we we brought all these people, we put them all in a room for a day. And then, you know, at the end we fed everyone and let them drink, but no breakouts, no exhibit hall, no sponsors, no selling. Like I didn't get everyone up and ask them to get out their wallets. Um, you know, we just gave them content and moved on. And that's what we're going to do again this year. You know, great minds think alike, Galen. So we do the same thing. We do something very similar. It's called Advocates United, which I'm going to now invite you to come. That's going to be in Miami, November 17th. Uh, That is also, uh, last year it was a half day event. Uh, We may push it to a full day, but when I say great minds think alike, it's one freaking room with speakers. It's time to listen to the speakers. It's time to go to this next little room to take a break and have some coffee. And then guess what? 
Let's go back, sit down, listen to speakers. And then we'll have a little after party after the event. The point is, is that like, I think the biggest thing with, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Facebook just blowing up after the SVG and, and wind the storm and our, our conference is still a thing and this and that, you know, for me, it's just worked. We do them all over the country. So we've got a three hour event that we're doing in New York uh, in June. We're doing a three hour event in LA in, in September. And then we're doing the full day event in Miami, but never more than that. Just, I, I mean, I think the, the the attention span people have like for long form podcasts and stuff like that, but to get up and to go to someplace, to go to an event that is just going to drag out for a couple of days, I think that is difficult, number one. And it goes back to the attention span thing. When there's too many things going on at once, you end up almost not seeing anything. It's a weird thing because if you're going to network you're, and maybe you want to learn something, you're going to spend the entire time in the with the sponsors and stuff like that. And if you're going to learn something, then you're not sure, should I go to this breakout? Should I go to that speaker? Should I go to this? And it becomes kind of like, it just becomes kind of a mess, I've noticed, unless you know somebody can do it better. But I like what we sort of fell into, which seems like you do something similar where we're just one day in, out, learn, get value. And like, that's it. You're done. I mean, I think that's what people want. Uh, yeah, we were both at Win the Storm. It's fine. I've been there every year. Uh, you know, people were like, "Is this over? Is this the last year?" I don't know. No, no but I will not. tell. But I will tell you that it's a different space, right? Like what they're offering is not what you're offering or I'm offering. Um, right. And and I don't like. I have specifically priced mine not to make money, um, just because it's a good referral generator for me. I. I get an opportunity to really feed, like I want these contractors and public adjusters to grow as big as possible. Because even if you don't send me work now, you might eventually have to, if you get too yep. big, right? <laughs> you know, so so it doesn't really matter to me. I just want them to grow. And, you know, we basically, I feel like we did that, but you know, my team came in before we launched our first one, like a month ahead of time. Go, hey, we don't know if anyone's gonna come. And I was like, okay. That's what we yeah. call it. <laughs> I mean, they're like, they're like, I was like, I okay. Like, I like when the venues, like they'll ask me like, so how many people do you expect? And I'm like, I'm hoping for one, <laughs> but let's call it a hundred. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, I paid for what I paid for. So I don't right. know why you need to know. Like, yeah, I love right. when the caterer, they charge you for 500 people. Right. And then they're like, so we need a final headcount. And I'm like 500. No, no, no. We need a final headcount. I was like, do I get a refund if it's 200? They're like, no. <laughs> I was like, then I'm having trouble understanding your question other than like food waste. Right. But I was like, no, you don't get to do that. So yeah, they come in and they're like, we don't think anyone's going to come. We think you might not have anyone. And I said, okay, well, are all the speakers confirmed? Yes. Is all the, uh, is the caterer confirmed? Yes. Is the entertainment or is the lighting guy is the production guy is all that stuff there? Yes. I said, cool. Okay. Have we sold any tickets? Yes. How many did we sell? 17. And you gave away five. I said, okay, cool. So we know 23 people are coming if they all show up. I was like, fair point. We know 11 people are coming, you know? <laughs> said, yeah. And I said, well, I guess those 11 people are going to get a really great intensive with these speakers, you know? A great attitude, Galen. And, um, you know, over the next month, because everyone waits to the last minute. I started getting tagged in posts. Is anyone going to Galen's thing? And we had 500 people in the room. Um, so, you know, we're going to do a thousand this time. I think, I think, you know, we, we had like two different levels of tickets based on like the seating. Cause it's in um, a theater this year instead of a concert venue. And, you know, we're already sold out 
um, on the first level. So I think we'll have a thousand easily, but this is what people want right now. I'm not saying this model is going to be around forever, Vince, but I think what you're offering is what people need to see, because if you're not as a public adjuster, contractor, growing your business, then you're just going to ultimately have lifeline issues. Like how many contractors do you see blow up? We're the best roofer in the world. And then they're gone three years later. Like break that cycle, run a good business. Yeah, I'm with you there. And that's the reason why we're offering some things in commercial claims advocate and education we provide for public adjusters to actually help them scale their business as well. Because I think with all the crap that, you know, law changes in Florida and Louisiana and just all over, I mean, if you, I, I mean, I don't know, some people have been saying as far as public adjusters that the large firms are going, are going to have more difficulty than the mom and pop shops. But I kind of think it's vice versa. I think just think the insurance company makes life so difficult that if you don't have, a, a, a just a set process in place, procedures in place, the right people in place to just pick them up, shut them down, pick them up, shut them down. Then I think, in my opinion, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for the smaller shops to do that. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Before we go, uh, you did mention, <clears throat> since we've been so focused on business, and by the way, Gabe, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, masterminds and business classes. Um, you've talked about your journey. You've talked about your hiring process, how you scaled. What are some of the stuff that we can share, again, with other attorneys uh, launching their own firms and with other public adjusting firms? What are some of the masterminds or business classes that you've taken that pop into your head that you would just totally recommend? Like, you got to take that course. You got to watch that video. You got to read that book. You got to do that thing. Yeah. I mean, there's more books that you could to read than ever um, that you could ever. I Right now, I've been reading Dan Martell, Buy Back Your Time. Definitely suggest that, but only if you've gotten to a point where your revenue's high, right. but you're trying to figure out how to be more efficient. If you're still building, don't waste your time with that book. It's kind of next level. Um, I like all the motivational books and stuff, but as far as masterminds, so I'm part of one that's for lawyers. So if you're a law firm, you should consider joining CRISP. Um, if you're not a law firm, they probably won't let you in. They've got a few different levels that kind of provide the content based on where you're at. So if you're a new firm, young firm, there's like a bottom kind of level that you can join. If you're already, I think if it's if you've already crossed like 5 million in revenue, there's a group you can join called Chris Bex. There's a bunch of levels between that. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to go sit in rooms with people that generate nine figures in revenue a year and get their business advice. There's another group I joined um, called MMT, Mary, Mary, Tom. And that has been one of the most life-changing experiences ever. I sit around with business people that have nothing to do with my industry. I listen to how smart they are. And I, you know, go through everything that they are working on. They go through things I'm working on. They give me real advice. I give them real advice and I watch how everyone continues to get stronger. And, um, you know, it's got the added bonus if they go somewhere cool, um, you know, a couple of times a year, but any, any masterminds really like, I mean, you have one, right? Vince, like it's important. You know, I, I would definitely, if there's an industry mastermind and be, let me be very clear. A mastermind is when you get together with a group of people and you solve problems or you have guided speakers. A mastermind is not, and I say this with zero judgment whatsoever, it is not public adjuster boot camp. It is not public adjuster training. I'm not calling them out by name because they're doing anything wrong because they're not, but it is not a mastermind. It is a go to this class, learn this thing for X amount of days, and then move on to your own. Even if they say they offer you aftercare or something like that, that's just going to be based on their time and availability. Join a group of people that are going to be committed to you. 
Like, I'm not saying don't go to those classes. If you have no idea what you're doing as a public adjuster, please go learn. Like, please, for the sake of the entire industry, I want you to go learn. But when it comes to building your business, I want you to go to some mastermind group, either industry specific or non. I actually, I suggest both. I suggest finding an industry specific mastermind. And then if you can afford it, finding a non-industry specific mastermind. So you're getting an outside view of running a business. I'm going to give my two cents. Uh, I am part of a strategic coach. Uh, which is fantastic for me. Strategic Coach was launched by, um, I can't remember his name right now, Dan Sullivan. I go to Chicago every three months and it is a phenomenal organization. It's just like you said, yes, we learn things and how to sort of run our business, how to step away from our business, hire the right people, hire IT, stuff like that. But just the fact that I am in a room with 30 to 40 other multimillionaire uh, entrepreneurs that I can just shoot the shit with and talk to and get information and give information and all kinds that just takes your sort of mentality to a whole other level. Another one that I would recommend that I'm not a part of, but I've heard amazing things is EO, the entrepreneurial organization. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've heard of that one, but they've got little chapters all over the country. And then there's another one that I cannot remember. I'm here looking for it and I can't find it, but if I remember it, I'll make sure that I put it in the description below, but that was awesome. Galen, thank you so much. That was uh, very, very informative. We definitely went in the direction that I wanted to go in. And I think uh, I think it was it's going to be super beneficial for anybody who's just in business and, and really wants to take their business side of things to the next level. Because let's face it, they are two different things. Being a public adjuster, being a lawyer, completely different than being an entrepreneur and running a business. Uh, I actually heard another good thing the other day. Um, you are the entrepreneur. I'm the entrepreneur, but I heard something the other day that it's not, it's, it's okay to also be, or to be an intrapreneur. So I don't know what kind of freedom that you give your people. Like I'm sure that you do, but there's nothing wrong where sometimes maybe running your own ship is not the way to go, but you know, falling under an ice umbrella where you could still be yourself. You still have the independence to do and act how you sort of want, as long as it's in, you know, as long as it's for the success of the business and for your company and everything and still feel sort of like an entrepreneur. And in our industry, it's very, it's very prevalent, but I just, for some reason that came into my head, Galen, dude, thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to say before we close up? No, man, I appreciate you. And, um, you know, I'm glad we got to go this direction because frankly, people in the industry need to hear it. Absolutely. So I will be there June 9th for the Level Up Summit. And that goes for anybody. Level Up Summit, you can go. I just looked on here. It is a Level Up Level Up Claim Summit, levelupclaim.com. Uh, we're going to put all the information below, Galen, if that's okay with you, for people to go to the uh, to the to that uh, conference. And um, November 17th, write it down, Miami, Advocates United. <laughs> I'll be there for sure. All right, Galen. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks.